0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to the Theatre Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is Thomas Jefferson in 1776 on Broadway, none other than Elizabeth A. Davis. Yes, of course, she plays Thomas Jefferson in the show right now, which is, of course, all over the headlines for many, many good reasons. You can take the lady out of the small town, but you can't take the small town out of the lady. She's a Texan that still performs to this day to pay homage to her grandparents and great-grandparents, who, as she tells the story, paved the way for her and her family today. Speaking of family, I am so proud to see that she's performing eight times a week now at being seven months pregnant. The show is scheduled to close right around her due date. And uh, often we've heard on this podcast that women have a hard time making a choice between starting a family or even continuing their family and continuing to perform. And the producers of 1776 never batted an eye. They were like, great, you're, you're pregnant. Keep on going. Doesn't affect the story. So kudos there where kudos are due. Find me online on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and the web. You know, I'm all over the place. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now, if you can. And everybody, please enjoy this episode with Elizabeth A. Davis.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus.
0: Today's guest received a Tony Award nomination for originating the role of Reza in the Broadway production of Once. Aside from her over 30 off-Broadway credits, she's a multi-talented multi-hyphenate who's ironically now had two back-to-back Broadway credits where her character both sings and plays the violin on stage. She's written original musicals, short plays, sung on Ben Platt's album Sing to Me Instead, and even has TV credits that include Blue Bloods, The Jim Gaffigan, show Fringe and Law and & Order SVU. She can now be seen playing Thomas Jefferson in the reimagined revival of 1776, Elizabeth A. Davis. Welcome to the theater podcast.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. So happy to be here.
0: How are you feeling? Uh, the I guess the baby elephant in the room is that you are <laughs> many months pregnant.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I had my eight-month appointment this morning after I dropped Eight my five-year-old off. Yeah.
0: Wow. Eight yeah. months. And and you're on stage performing eight shows a week while being eight months pregnant.
3: Yeah. I just have this image of me like having a cigar dangling out of one side of my mouth and wearing a muumuu and just like walking and be like, mama's here, kids. Let's do another show. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm just going to keep showing up till my body says no. That's it.
0: That, that's going to be a, a really cool story one day um, for your child if you're like, Mama's water broke in the middle of a Sunday matinee. Uh, Like, do you have a, do you, do you all have a contingency plan for this? Like, cause you're gonna be running through your due date, I suspect.
3: Yes, I'm due January 1st. The show is set to close January 9th. And I was a week late with my son. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hoot. It's, it's really a hoot. The metaphor does not escape me. It has never escaped me. I just didn't think it was gonna. I, I didn't think I would be living the metaphor that I knew would be profound. But here we are. So, yeah, it's it's not easy. I didn't really know definitively. I, I thought I had an ulcer. I think I went to the doctor July 5th. I found out definitively at, on July 21st in Boston. We closed July 24th. <laughs> so I, I did the entirety of my first trimester and into my second trimester rehearsals and performance at ART. Just thinking, I was, you know, getting a little, little tight in the pants, and that I had an ulcer. Wow! I, I take none of this for granted, for real, because um, there, there's so many layers and levels. There, there's, there is the financial component. There is the, you know, human component. There is the component mm-hmm. of, um, you know, how we expect pregnancy to look. There, there's just so many landmines around the whole thing. But at the end of the day, what I'm finding is that. I was hired to do a job, and I am showing up to do my job, and I just happen to be amongst a wonderful company, and creatives, and designers, and stage management, and all of that that have supported me unequivocally. So, I, I all I can say is thank you. You know, it's just a just a wild story.
0: I was so happy, and I I guess like overjoyed isn't is not the right word. I w- I was just pleasantly surprised um when I saw the show a couple weeks ago to see you on stage, you know, full Jefferson outfit. You're all playing men up there, but the the part of the point of the um I guess the gender blind casting, we'll call it and color blind, is that you're up there representing the The voices of the nation that went, that still went unrepresented during the whole process of declaring indep- independence and and whatnot. So a uh, uh, twofold, right? like you're you're literally up there representing motherhood. And mothers, and while birthing a nation, while cooking your own egg, and you know all of these uh, roundabout metaphors. Hey, roundabout. See what I did there? Uh, didn't mean to do that. Unintentional pun. <laughs> so yeah, you've got all of all of this up there. All these voices, are the these unsung voices that you're representing, and while at the same time, as Elizabeth, you're you're representing actual actors actual mothers who who typically can't find work in it, it, while they're pregnant or don't want to work while they're pregnant or afterwards because it's just freaking hard to maintain eight shows a week and breastfeed and miss your little one's elementary school everything's right?
3: Yeah. It's a really impossible uh, line to walk. And look, I, I'm not going to say that it's it's hard, it's hard, it will be hard. This is a very extraordinarily unique situation that was born out of no pun intended, but born out of a lot of pain. And, um, and, and it happens to just be in a production that happens to be cast in such a way that allows my body to look how my body looks right now. And that is not the case, very often. And so and so I acknowledge that while I do want it to be representative of what I think can change and be different in the industry, I also understand that there is a superlative quality about it. There there is a, you know, uniqueness to time and place and specific show and specific type of casting, etc. But there's also like, there's no maternity leave because you know I was in two different states doing the show and New York state doesn't you know so should there be maternity I I, I don't know so that there's like the financial component there's there's all of these very real logistical um threads that are going around this whole scenario for me but at the center the yoke in the yoke of the egg of it is is the beauty that I I get to be in this body and be telling the story and feeling the profundity of these metaphors upon metaphors, and it's it, the most profound, creative moment of my life. I, I would would like to say, yeah.
0: Well, in addition to carrying around another living being inside of you you're also carrying around a, a violin and of course you played played the violin in, in once as well um, when did you start playing uh, or I guess is violin the only instrument you play and when did you start playing that like as a child as a child I guess I assume I assume everybody who's good as an adult had to start as a
3: child I, I started on a butter box with a ruler in it at three <laughs> <laughs> And a dowel rod for the bow with like an eraser at the end as the frog. I, I did start as a child and, you know, I, I was in the, I grew up in the panhandle of Texas where we had, we, our population is 362, I think on our population sign still to this day. My parents still live in the house I grew up in. My brother and his family live about an hour away. Um, it, it was a, it was a discipline. It was a very important part of all of our, of of my family's life. Music was interwoven into pretty much everything. And so, you know, I, I, I played not because I had any inkling that this would be my trajectory, but I played for the love of it eventually. And, uh, I played for the discipline of it. And so to find myself first and once, with all of the things that I love to do coming together in such a way. Yeah, that was the first moment of real synthesis, creative synthesis, where I thought, I think that I'm in the middle of a genre creation. I say that, but John Doyle, uh, who I have to shout out is like is like I call him a creative father. I did Allegro with him and played the violin and Allegro after I did once. And John Doyle, I have to say, created in our modern understanding of it, actor musicianship. Margaret Thatcher cut arts funding when he was working in Scotland. You know, the European Union was it then at that time? I don't mm-hmm. know. Don't don't put me on my hip, governmental structural understanding, but. John said how am i going to continue to do my work without arts funding that Margaret Thatcher's just cut. And and hence um i th- i think we got Sweeney Todd. Was that first? Was that his first production that he brought over or was it
0: I have no anyway, I have no clue.
3: I my, my my point being shout out to John Doyle um and then shout out to John Tiffany and the producers that made that possible. So that's yeah, that was that was once that was it was extraordinary and so singular. But this show is different in that it's, you know, I'm not the orchestra. Uh, There is a pit violinist who's fantastic and I love her. Um, Our orchestra is amazing. Ryan Cantwell, our MD, amazing. Um, David Chase, the whole the whole nine yards, the whole gang. Love him. But this is this is woven into the narrative. You know, Jefferson historically played the violin very well. Um, and the pieces that I'm playing on stage were pieces that Jefferson himself played. So... Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then Martha has the whole song. He plays the violin, obviously, originated by Betty Buckley, who also has my heart, <laughs> played currently by McElroy. So yeah, it, it, it it's a different type of... It's not diegetic, as we say. You know, it is... Um, it is true musical theater, even though people are considering the show a play with music. But I digress.
0: So the the casting, the original uh, casting of the show when they were, I guess, well, uh, yeah. So the character description for Jefferson does it call it calls for an actor who can play the violin, and then I guess going back to Once as well, was that cast looking for musicians who can sing or singer actors who can also play instruments?
3: I'll answer the Once question first. John Tiffany was very specific that he wanted actors first who also played instruments very well. And I think that was a huge part of what made that cast so unique and specific is that you, you had a bunch of actors who just happened to be, you know, who started playing a butter box at three, and that was all of us. So I, I John wanted actors who played. In this scenario, I don't think Jefferson Jefferson doesn't have to play the violin at all. That's certainly not part of the um, description of the role. I just think Diane and Jeffrey knew that I played and thought, "Oh, that would be a bonus." And indeed, I personally find it a bonus. I, I find I find it a fun bonus that I get to do that every night.
0: It's a beautiful violin too. It's it's absolutely like I, before I could see it, just the, the lights and the color, and it's it's a deep, this very very pretty violin. I played like for a year in third grade. I could not play a lick right now, but I can at least appreciate a good instrument. <laughs> what I see what. so like, oh wow, that was that's really pretty.
3: Uh, it's it's an instrument they found that can be acoustic and electric, because I use it acoustically in Act One and then electrically in Act Two.
0: That's cool. I love I love technology, especially when it merges with the arts. That's that's a lot of fun. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Factor, Eating better is easy with Factor's Delicious ready to eat meals, and every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes, which is really good for me because I don't have time for three minutes. This is New York. I got to keep going. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up. This is not just dinner either, it is for breakfast and midday bites as well. It's totally flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. And if you're going out of town or just want to take a break, you can pause or reschedule any time. So sign up and save because I've done the math. Factor is actually less expensive than takeout. So head to factormeals.com TTP50 and use code TTP50 to get 50% off. That's code TTP50 at factormeals.com TTP50 to get 50% off. So you said you started with the butterbox. You started with all this when you were like three. So where did it grow from there? Because you're in the in the middle of this tiny town in Texas playing uh, instruments, and then did this did singing come next? Did acting come next? And and then progressing up through there, what was your moment where you said, "I have to do this for my life. This needs to be who I am, or this is who I am. I've just discovered me."
3: Well, I I, ha- I have to always pay homage to my parents because they. Uh, but bo- my dad is a vocal performance major. My parents met in a singing group. My mom and my dad both play the piano somewhat. And they also directed the high school theater production. When you come from a tiny town, you're on the cross country team. You run track. You do poetry interpretation. You do the one at play. And you also barrel race. So... <laughs> You just, that was just normal life that everyone did everything in order to create teams. And because we're in Texas, everything was a competition, not because we're in Texas, but Texas has like very competitive extracurricular activities. So everything just overlapped. It was a constant overlapping of like, oh, I'm going to, I'm five and I'm sitting on the steps of this tiny little this theater in in our school where my parents are directing Steel Magnolias. And then on Thursday, I'm going to go to violin lessons. And then daddy is singing for church. And we're all like, so all of the components that I brought, that I'm bringing, I guess, to my work now, were always, they were always part of the ingredients of our family soup. Then when it came time to, you know, figure out how to make anything out of that, to make a sustenance of a life, I pursued theater because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't, in my mind, I wasn't a good enough violinist or a vocalist to to major in those. But I, looking back, I knew that I was a storyteller. And so I got both of my degrees in classical theater performance. I got my, my bachelor's and my master's. I never thought I would do a musical theater production, ever. Singing still terrifies me on stage. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but um I love to sing and it's I write music, I record music, all of this. I, I found my way into feeling comfortable in t- in singing when I what well, once allowed a voice to be what it was, what once said Glenn Hansard is gonna get up and scrouch and let the pure just rawness of the human voice ring out. And we we're, we're gonna we're gonna say yes to that. And so there was, there's such freedom in, in saying, yes, there is something gorgeous about perfection in the singing voice, but why do we love Dylan? Why do we love Springsteen? Why do we love Glenn Hansard? Why do we love Bonnie Raitt? Why do we love, because they, because their heart comes out of their voice. We're not, we don't listen to them for um, technical perfection. We listen to them because they are telling the story of life when they open their mouth to sing and discovering my version of that is what is what lets me sing and feel confident in that and saying oh i'm going to screw up i don't i don't i don't care that means it's live that means you're hearing the real me oh well
0: embrace what makes you different we say it all the time
3: yeah exactly and people come to the theater to see something real and different and alive they of course come to the theater also to see extraordinary skill and brilliance and and we have plenty of that on our stage as well but i guess to just go back and answer your question about tying everything together that's when the vocal piece really came into play
0: that's really cool that that's really cool and it's i think it's refreshing a little bit to to realize too that you have people at the top of their game i I say this all the time in these episodes is that Broadway performers are the Olympians of theater. They're the the top of the game. You're you've reached like the ultimate of competition. If you want to, you know, the ultimate pinnacle of, of, of the performance. And it's refreshing to know that people still get stressed. Like these people doing shows eight times a week, they're still getting nervous about auditions. They get stressed about singing. They uh, go up on their lines I, after doing it, you know, for a year and a half, like all of this stuff, it just everyone is human, and everyone is is unique in their humanity. Which I think, again, speak, it speaks to to why I love this production of 1776 so much because the cast is so diverse and different, and we're all representing one nation. We're all representing one movement. Or you you not we i'm not a part of the cast you are all representing uh of no. course this movement the uh the individual people but um it's just it's really cool to me to see uh the choices that were made to put you and all the rest of the phenomenal cast together to represent this one particular moment in time and i guess I don't have a question there. I was just making an observation. But my question then would be, When did you know about the production before you auditioned for it and before you really started getting involved? Because...
3: I, you know, I auditioned for this like old school style through my agent. I found out I think the first full day that I knew I was cast was January 1st of 2020. Which, by the way, it's so interesting. My child is due on January 1st of 2023. So, I mean, I did, I didn't know much. I knew that... I didn't know much. That's the real answer. I had never seen a production of 1776. Uh, My father apparently was in a production in college in 1776, which seems to be like I'm I'm finding all these people that I peripherally know. And they're like, Oh, I did a production of that. Oh yeah, I did that. The first time I listened, I watched the movie and I listened to the score and I was struck by um, how funny it was. And I was struck by how, the creatives, the writers, were dealing. They they used comedy so deftly to kind of take the air out, or to to release the pressure valve on major major contention and and sticking points. So I respected that a lot, and I got excited about being in the middle of uh, walking that line.
0: I guess looking at all of the original founding fathers fathers being the keyword there being men right um yeah. were were there any of these characters of these of these real life people that that you were drawn to initially of like that's a that's a really interesting story or i didn't there's so much i didn't know about these particular people because I, just your your character arc in general the jefferson story alone is phenomenal. And then the conflict over the clause about abolishing slavery that Rutledge wanted to, or had successfully removed from from the final draft, or from the final version. Like, all of this it just fascinated me because I didn't know any of it. It was in, in, in like yeah. my North Carolina public school upbringing. It was, uh, yeah, well, there was like some tea that got thrown in the ocean. And then, uh, we said, nope screw you, England. We're out. A couple of people fought yeah. some, some battles and that was it. And then, I really got to know the real history I put in air quotes because of Hamilton because Hamilton then teaches you <laughs> everything, but that's like yeah. <laughs> right, and so that's like years before and years after, but I'd love seventeen seventy six I'd love this because this show is like the months leading up to july fourth seventeen seventy six yeah. and the just the drama and and the the drive, the need for these. Kids. I'm a day older than you. So you and I can call them kids. A lot of them were kids. Yep. They were. Especially Jefferson, who was what, twenty-seven? Twenty-eight? What was he?
3: Thirty-three at least. Uh, or, but, I mean I say that only because there's a line and they show you for a man of only thirty-three years old, you possess uh a, a, a whatever John Adams line is. It calls me thirty-three. And I always every night I get a I get a kick out of it. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Of course, I'm 33. <laughs> um, I get I'm like a young lover, and like, it's it's so funny. And I'm standing up there again with a cigar hanging out my mouth, being like, "You kids, blah blah blah." Um, you know, the, the the history is unbelievable, and it's set, like you and I are people I can't see obviously, but you and I both holding our our, our voting stickers uh, right now because we've both voted today, and and after reading extensively about. Well, just let's just go straight to the 1800 presidential election between Jefferson and Adams where partisanship was actually introduced into the, you know, political zeitgeist. Jefferson was like, you know, no, if you come in second you you can't no I I don't want you as my um I don't want you as my vice president. Mm-hmm. Uh the contention between Jefferson and Adams is considered one of the, you know, most heated presidential elections ever they didn't speak for years after that and i i always take being inside the show being inside the history being inside jefferson's uh track as encouragement to say it's always been insane there have all and also reading thomas Paine's common sense that's what i'm reading on stage during scene three i sit there and i read and reread over and over Common Sense by Thomas Paine, which is considered the inciting document that gave the colonies the courage to say, okay, we're actually ready to do this. And I just find, I find so much courage. And I also, again, people can't see, but I have these two notebooks that I filled during the Boston production, sitting in scene three, writing about congressional madness. And I I have a document that I I do. I I have a document um, called the Congressional Chronicles, where I wrote about what I was witnessing as Jefferson in scene three, but obviously it's also Elizabeth writing about what she's experiencing in 2022 America. And so I, I, I hesitate to take any time to just find this, but I. I I was so uh tickled getting to put put these together. Oh, here's I wrote this on stage, and I, I believe this applies right now as much as it did then. The sun shines with earnest work ethic, the moon waxes with precocious swoon, and the men in this congressional sweat box foghorn with volume so as to convert the citizens of planet Mars. And <laughs> Just you know the the ideas such as that of like nothing has changed like we're we're watching people foghorn in our congressional sweatboxes as to convert literally along with Elon the the citizens of planet Mars so there is great courage to be had in that humanity does not change the circumstances around humanity just does and and that may cause people to be cynical, it may depress them, I find it encouraging. Because it means that the trajectory of growth and learning can be pretty tried and true, if people are are willing to commit to it. And um, this is a very long winded way of saying, Jefferson, despite all of his inconsistencies, and all of his inabilities to see his mistakes, or, or I'll regret that his inability to change his mistakes. I think he was quite aware of them. I think he knew, he knew that slavery was wrong. He 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 I read the clause every night uh, calling it an execrable commerce. Yeah, he knew. But his his daughter knew that he knew it was at least a generation or two away from him being able to for us to abolish it truly.
0: I mean, how much of this history did you already know and how much did you learn, uh, I guess, joining the cast? Were you, were you all given the real history lessons or did you take it upon yourself to learn all of this? I'm, I'm always curious how much uh, the production team requires their, their cast to really like dig into the past of, of these real characters sometimes.
3: It was both. I mean, we as we were in the middle of the pandemic knowing that we were cast as these roles. So we had the freedom of time to do an extraordinary amount of research if we so chose. But we also were gifted kind of the arsenal of Harvard's histori- historian department uh, through Diane Paulus and through Jeffrey Page. So we had these guests that would just either zoom in or f- physically show up who are Pulitzer Prize winners in their field. We had Pulitzer Prize winner, Annette Gordon-Reed, who is a scholar of Thomas Jefferson. Like that is her life's work, is Jefferson and uncovering a lot of the Sally Hemings history. So I'm listening to this woman talk. Like I I still like, I think about um, Alan Rickman and
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Annette Gordon-Reed the same way. (laughs) They both like give me chills. So there was a lot made available to us, and there was a lot that was put on the emphasis of uh, the, the, the true understanding of the history and an emphasis on saying we're not interested in deifying or demonizing. We're interested, as art does, creating characterizations of people and making them imperfect and making them human. And that's what I hope people see when they come to watch the show. I, I hope that they don't, no. Our our aim is not to preach. Our aim is simply to hold a mirror. And uh, I, I, I think the production does a good job of that.
0: We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: This episode is brought to you by Factor. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals and every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes, which is really good for me because... I don't have time for three minutes. This is New York. I got to keep going. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus and keto. And there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up. This is not just dinner either. It is for breakfast and midday bites as well. It's totally flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. And if you're going out of town or just want to take a break, you can pause or reschedule time time. So sign up and save because I've done the math. Factor is actually less expensive than takeout. So head to factormeals.com slash ttp50 and use code ttp50 to get 50% off. That's code ttp50 at factormeals.com slash ttp50 to get 50% off. It's a country founded on conflict. I mean, we rose out of conflict to overcome conflict to then establish a system that perpetuates conflict, and here we are. <laughs> you know, but all in all, like you said, sh- shining up a mirror—that's all. That's the best thing I think that we that you can do in any situation because it's all it's self improvement and exactly what you were saying about Jefferson. He knew he wasn't perfect, but and he worked to improve himself. And I think you know it could be the modern day or now the modern version is like, you know, you're going to therapy and you realize that you have work to do and and you're not perfect and you've got uh, blind spots in your way of thinking, your unconscious biases because of societal influence, because of generational blah, 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 blah. Like you can trace it all the way back. And, and this is why, part of why I love Broadway and love theater and love the arts so damn much because it allows you to just open up it opens up your mind as an audience member, and and then even like you and your cast as performers. How much better of a person, how much more uh, uh, I guess uh, aware of of things are you now as a as a person as Elizabeth than yeah. you were previously? And now you can take that into your next roles and teach your children and teach and you know go go pay this forward in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. I think it's a fascinating cycle.
3: Oh, that's so well said. And and I absolutely agree. I'm I'm a significantly better citizen than I was two and a half, some years ago. I I'm a I'm a better citizen. I hope I'm a better artist. And to your point, I hope that I'm a better mother. There is something profound about being able to put yourself on a continuum, being able to imagine your children on a continuum as opposed to mm-hmm. fixed points. And <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't know how to exactly say, but there's a, I think children thrive and do better when, well, obviously when there's a growth mindset, when there's a sense that they are not the center of the universe, it's unhealthy for a child, for a
0: human. <laughs> That's hard. It's hard to get them to see that.
3: Right, exactly. But but exposure to history and exposure to similar struggles at different time periods, time periods. And in different countries, like any of that exposure, allows a child, I think, to feel strengthened, but also uh, keenly aware of the fact that they are they are a part of, they are a small part of human history.
0: Well, they, everybody is. Everybody is, whether whether they want to be or not. And and that's something too that you know people have asked before. They're like, what do you hope that? That you leave behind, and it's just legacy, and and that's why, gosh, I mean, look at, look at again. I, I take Hamilton and 1776 and in every every show about a period piece, his, history, historical moment, everyone, at the crux of it, wants to leave their legacy. What do? You, why do you think that is? Now that I brought that up, like, why is that? Why do you think as a species we just? want to we're afraid to be forgotten out of 7 billion people of Mm. course some people are not going to rise to the top it's kind of a shitty thing to say but it's the truth
3: no i think i think we are i think we are all created to desire higher meaning we're all we are all in search of saying i intrinsically feel or understand that i'm more than myself how do i how do i reach that how do i um surpass my own humanity yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 I am a person of faith. And, and I've been able to take <clears throat> my art and and my understanding of my purpose on planet Earth, and through the continuum of time, and soul and spirit. Um, and say, I, I do believe that we are created for more than just the end of our lives. That there is legacy built into our DNA. There's a, de- a desire for I call it continuum. Um, I wrote this play called Home Tropic, and Tropic. entropy meaning, you know, everything falls toward chaos. And how if left to our own brokenness, we've, we fall toward en- entropy. And the f- hmm. fight of redemption defies that and so for me that's that's the that's the legacy and the meaning that I long to leave to say my humanness is not the is not the end of what I aimed to portray or said differently which that was deeply convoluted um (laughs) there is continuance in every role I play What? What acting is, is incarnational, meaning we take something that is without flesh and we put spirit and flesh into something that's simply on the page, Mm -hmm. we incarnate it. And so for me, the act of acting is a total defiance of death. It is an absolute defiance of entropy. To be able to step into something and to breathe life into something, and to allow it to to be alive in your face for however long, and so there's there's purpose and drive and meaning in that, which is why you know I'm exhausted. I'm eight months pregnant. I'm exhausted. I've and still purpose and continuance and meaning calls to me, and so I keep showing up. <laughs> I keep showing up. Community calls to me, you know, being a part of being part of a whole calls to me. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Anyway, please, please stop me from my pontification.
0: No, I absolutely resonate with what you just said about uh, the act of acting incarnates. And I think you said transcends death or cheats death. I, I don't, I forget what you said exactly, but did that I? that puts so much of people's need to perform and express themselves and leave that legacy. That that I think uh just puts a pin in that so well in a way that I'd never actually considered before. So thank you for for that, that little tidbit. I'm gonna go to bed tonight <laughs> thinking about that. Um but I would love to wrap up the episode here with three closing questions. I ask everybody to end the episodes. And you may have just answered the first one already, but the first one just is very simply what motivates you?
3: My grandparents worked on a farm for 50 years of their life and saved enough money to send me to college. I stand on their shoulders. I stand on the shoulders of my great grandfather who was a doctor in Scotland, cross through Ellis Island. There have been so many people in my history who have sacrificed and I I bring the same ethic, drive and passion to my job as an actor that my grandfather did when he was farming untilled dirt in the panhandle of Texas.
2: Hmm.
3: And my grandmother who cooked three meals a day for cowboys as they were trying to provide food for the United States of America. Mm. This is not just a hope and a wing and a prayer, whatever the phrase is. This is a thank you. I aim to live my life as a thank you.
0: Wow. I love that. All right. Next question then. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path?
3: The biggest job I had at 30 years old was understudying Off-Broadway. I was 30 years old. I recently listened to Leslie Jordan on SNL talking about Oprah got fired at 25 or something. And the best thing that could have ever happened to Oprah at 25 is to be fired because it's what made her Oprah. Yeah. And so I would tell young people that failure is your friend and that it is not to be feared. It is to be welcomed as the teacher you must have to go to the next place you are not a failure if you refuse failure you refuse growth and we must uncouple identity self-worth from work we must uncouple them they are not the same if you allow them to be the same you will be crushed by your work
0: that is Again, another beautiful answer. Beautiful. I almost said beautiful. I don't say beautiful, but I almost did that time. (laughs) All right. The last question, and this one is the hardest. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
3: Show, musical, play, movie? Like, or what are the parameters here?
0: I leave it very open.
3: Oh my gosh! The Boys Next Door, the Hallmark special with Nathan Lane. That's not even like you can't even find it. I don't even know where to find it. I haven't even been able to find it on VHS. It's like um, who else was in that? It's called The Boys Next Door. It was about a man who was helping um, a home of people who uh, had a variety of. I, I hope I, I I think the correct term is disability, um, but his learning to live without them and their ability to live without him. And it just, I don't, I don't have words. It makes me feel all the things. I have no idea where people can find it. Good luck. If you find it, let me know. But I live high on the memory of it daily.
0: Okay. Well, where can we find you online? That's a great transition to social media. (gasps) Where can people send you all the info about where to find the missing mysterious movie.
3: Yeah. uh, So my professional name is Elizabeth A. Davis, but Elizabeth A. Davis was already taken on Twitter and Instagram and the places. So it's just Elizabeth A. Davis without the H. So it looks like Elizabetta Davis. So Betty Buckley for a long time, I thought my name was Elizabetta. So don't let that fool you, but I mean, Betty can call me whatever she
0: wants. (laughs) (laughs) She's Betty Buckley. She can, she can call you. Hey, you.
3: Exactly. Uh, Find me there. My website is deeply out of date, but Elizabeth A. Davis and I don't, I don't know where else. I mean, my dream is to escape myself completely from the internet or to remove myself from the internet, but Mm. in the meantime, I'm still on socials. So there you go.
0: Because we have to be. That's the game we play. All right. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, Leave a rating, leave a review, leave a comment wherever you're listening, watching, doing anything. Um, This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hidland Productions. Our music that you're hearing now came from Jukebox the Ghost. And our conversation, of course, came from Elizabeth A. Davis. Elizabetta Davis. (laughs) <laughs> Elizabeth A. Davis. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little
3: colorful. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stiflin. This is Sarah Borellis. Hi, I'm
0: Patty Lapone.
2: This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
3: With Lucky Landslots, slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.